Music is a blessing. Thank you very much for leading us in special music today and leading us in worship today. And I hope, as uh, Steve shared last week, you know, as you uh, spend time in prayer throughout the week, that you also pray for the worship team uh, throughout the week. And keep all of our leaders in prayer. We definitely need your prayers throughout the week in ministry. Turn to Romans uh, 15. We're starting in Romans 15 today. We've been going, uh, marching our way through Romans, and now we come to Romans chapter 15, and we're going to look at verses 1 through 7 here in just a moment. Romans 15, verses 1 through 7. Uh, just remind you, because I've been told, and you can tell me if this is true or not, but don't tell me today, but I've been told that by the time of the afternoon nap, most people forget the sermon. Now, somebody told them, said that about their sermons, not about my sermons. I'm sure you remember them till Monday's nap, but I'm just kidding. But so let me remind you a little bit. Romans chapters 1 through 11 are all deep theology, rich doctrine. Romans chapters 1 through 11, theology and doctrine. And then Romans chapters 12 through 16 are pretty much what do we do with those doc- that doctrine? What do we do? It's the imperatives. It's the actions. It's the morals. It's the ethics. You know, it's all that. And so we come to Romans 15. And, and if you recall, Romans 14, we were able to have a lot of fun with in a way. Because it doesn't apply to us. No, I'm just kidding. Romans 14 is about conscience issues. It was extremely practical, right? Don't judge one another on conscience issues. And, and it seems like Romans 14 was dealing with um, some people who Paul calls the weak felt like they had to follow certain dietary laws and certain sacred days and certain, certain things like that. You know. And Paul was saying, Let it, if, you're, if you're stronger and you know that you're free to eat the food sacrificed to idols, you're free for that stuff. You know, welcome the weaker brother, but don't argue. Get along. Welcome each other. Don't argue over conscience issues. And so in Romans 15, we're going to start to get into the example of Christ and unity. So let's talk about that here for a moment. Johnny Erickson Tata. I don't know if you know of Johnny Erickson Tata. Most of you probably do. She's a quadriplegic, paralyzed from the neck down. Has been since a diving accident around 1968. Uh, she wrote a book around 1977 called Johnny. And then has written many, many books since then. And she has a ministry, Johnny and Friends, that does things for those with special needs. They have a great devotional every day, which I receive. And a little radio insight that's about five minutes every day. And... And they get wheelchairs all over the world. Just a great, 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 great ministry. And, and, and she was able to get married. And, and um, her husband, Ken, is very devoted to her. And um, she's been 51 years, I believe, now as a quadriplegic. And she shares this illustration about her husband, Ken. Ken serves as a track and field coordinator for the Special Olympics. Johnny does a lot for the Special Olympics. And Ken, her husband, track and field coordinator of the Special Olympics. And, and she talks about how there's always a band and there's, there's music, there's colorful banners, and there's flags everywhere. And she describes the sights and sounds at the Special Olympics. It's scattered across the infield are teams of mentally disabled young people, special needs, mentally disabled young people. And, a, and, and, and she says a few years ago at one of the games, her husband... Ken blew his whistle to signal the contestants for the 50-yard dash. And there was a girl with Down syndrome with thick glasses. And there was a short, stocky boy in baggy shorts. And they were the first to line up. And there was a moment of stillness. Then a bang from the starting gun. And off they sprinted. Six contestants bobbing and weaving down the track. But suddenly... The boy in baggy shorts 
began running toward his friends in the infield. He wanted to be with his friends. Kim blew his whistle to direct him back to the track, but it was no use. At that point, the girl with Down syndrome, who was just a few yards from the finish line, guess what she did? She ran back to the boy with the thick glasses and baggy shorts. And they walked over the finish line, arm in arm together, long after the rest finished. We must run the race not to please ourselves. And we can learn a lot from that illustration, can't we? We must run the race not to please ourselves, but to please the Lord. And that often means taking time to stop, put our arms around a weaker friend who needs to get back on track. And that's exactly what the girl with Down syndrome did. She stopped, she went back, put her arms around a friend. They hugged each other. They walked out and finished the race arm in arm. Johnny shares, have you watched a fellow believer get spiritually confused? And yet you've kept on going? Jesus doesn't seem as preoccupied with winning, winning in scare quotes, as we do. The important thing is how we run the race, and we're called to run it, bearing with the failings of those who are weak. So we're going to talk today about a passage that deals with that subject. We must love and support each other, following the example of Christ. So my theme today is, we are to accept others following Christ's example. Accept others following Christ's example. And so in verses 1 through 4, we see the example of Christ. The example of Christ. Ben Witherington III, who teaches at Asbury Theological Seminary, he writes... Origen offers a telling comment on the section of Paul's discourse. Now, Origen was an early church father, they would call him. He was a leader in the early church around 250 A.D., the third century, actually the fourth, I'm sorry, fourth century of the church. And Origen says this, he says, Eating meat and drinking wine are matters of indifference in themselves. Even wicked people may abstain from these things, and some idol, worship or idol worshipers, in fact, do so for reasons which are actually evil. Now, why, why, why is Origen writing about this? Because in Romans 14, Paul was dealing with people who thought they had to abstain from these things, and others thought they were free to eat these things, and it became a dividing point. And so Origen is saying they're, they're matters of indifference. Some people are abstaining from the food sacrificed to idols and from the wine that was used in certain offerings. And, and they're actually abstaining from, for, for evil reasons, for other cult practices, for asceticism. Origen says, likewise, quite a few heretics enjoy similar practices. So you can be a heretic and, and, and even take part. The only reason abstinence of this kind is good is that it may help to avoid offending a brother. Let's read verse 1, Romans 15, verse 1. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. We who are strong. Who is, who, why is he using this strong and weak terminology, this strong and weak language? Remember, in context, Paul's talking about conscience issues. Paul's been encouraging them to respect their conscience and respect the, con- respect the conscience, not context, the conscience of each other. The conscience issues they're dealing with Seem to be certain Jewish uh, dietary laws and food sacrificed to idols and maybe even certain other pagan practices. Paul had said that they are free to eat the meat. 
But if their conscience is not comfortable with it, then follow their conscience. So again, who are the strong? The strong are those who feel free to eat the meat. Now this is likely, just to review, the meat sold in the market marketplace and the meat is sold at a discounted rate because it had been used in sacrificial offerings in the temples to various pagan gods. They're, you know, they're not going in the temples, they're not taking part in the offerings, but they're free to eat the meat that was used in those offerings. But certain people thought, no, we're not free to eat the meat, so they would just eat vegetables. And so Paul's saying, we who are strong, the strong think we're free. God's given us this freedom to eat the meat, but the weak don't think so. But he's saying respect each other's conscience in these matters. In Romans 14, 13, Paul said, never to put a stumbling block in front of another. Paul encouraged them to respect each other. So now Paul continues this discussion. Paul says they have an obligation. An obligation. You see that? We who are strong have an obligation. That's the word used in verse 1. An obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. And that word obligation is a, is a strong term. It seems that, that the lack of a true understanding of the weak is viewed, as a, is, is viewed as a failing. They need to understand who the weak are and respect them and love them. And it's a failing if they don't do that. Paul says they are not to please themselves, but to please the other person. And look at it. He says, we who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. That, that, that word bear, that word means to pick up and carry a weight. To pick up and carry a weight. It's used of carrying a pitcher of water in Mark 14, 13. Of carrying a man in Acts 21, 35. And figuratively, of bearing an obligation. The strong are not simply to tolerate the weaknesses of their weaker brothers. They're to help the weak shoulder their burdens by showing loving and practical considerations for them. And we need to even think of, it's like we're picking up and carrying them along to help them in their time of need. Look at verse 2. Look at verse 2. He says, let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. So instead of pleasing ourselves, each of us is to please his neighbor. Why? For his good. And of course, it could be her good too, okay? It can go either way here. We are not a... We, we, we are to be about building each other up. How many of us here are thinking of things that way? Do we really want to build each other up, encourage each, encourage each other, love each other, support each other? Much like that Down syndrome girl who didn't care about the finish line. She went back to help the other boy across the finish line. In Luke chapter 10, certain people tried to trap Jesus, and they said, what's the greatest commandment? He said, love God and love people. That's my summary right now. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And the man went back and thought he would challenge Jesus with another thing, maybe to trap him. Maybe he truly didn't understand. And the man said, well, who was my neighbor? And what did Jesus share? The parable of the Good Samaritan. Samaritans and uh, Jerusalem Jewish people had hostility between them. And in that parable, that story that comes alongside, Jesus had the Samaritan be the good guy, helping out his Jew uh, Jewish person who would be an enemy. We're about, we should be about building up others, even if, maybe especially if, they're mean to us or our enemy for some reason. So now we have the example of Christ. He says, Christ did not, look at verse 3. He says, for Christ did not please himself, 
But as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. This is verse 3, and it's quoting an Old Testament passage. And so now he's giving the ultimate example, right? Jesus. Any kid who has grown up in Sunday school know that you can almost always raise your hand and say the answer is Jesus, right? And here the answer really is Jesus. Jesus did not please himself. And he quotes the Old Testament. The reproaches... Of those who reproached you fell on me. These reproaches, these insults came upon Jesus. And that's a quote from Psalm 69.9. Psalm 69.9. Reproaches of those who reproached God fell upon Jesus. John MacArthur shares, reproaches refers to slander, false accusations and insults. Men hate God. And they manifest that same hate toward the one, that would be Jesus, whom God sent. People hate God and they manifest that same hatred toward Jesus. And what did Jesus do? He went to the cross for them. And on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they know not what they're doing. So he gives the example of Jesus, and then, and then he talked about former days. Whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction. Let's read verse 4. He says, for whatever was written in former days, this is verse 4, Romans 15, 4 again, chapter 15, verse 4. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance... And through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. Is, isn't this interesting? He's talking about former days. You know, back in the day, the writings were for our instructions. And he talks about endurance. He talks about encouragement. But he also talks about the scriptures. He talks about the scriptures. He talks about the Bible. Through endurance and encouragement of scriptures, we have hope. Do you ever think about endurance? Do we endure through hard times while walking with the Lord? I mean, we're in a day and age where we think if it's hard, quit, right? Nope, don't do it. If it was of God, it wouldn't be difficult. But God grows us through difficult times. God strengthens us. He builds us up through hard times. Also, he writes about encouragement. Encouragement of the scriptures gives us hope. Where does the encouragement come from? The scriptures, and that gives us hope. Let me ask you, we're going to come back to this in a bit. Are you in the Bible? The word of God is endorsed here for encouragement. Do you have hope and do you need hope? Read the Bible and focus on endurance. Think about it this way. When you get up in the morning, no Bible, no breakfast. Or if you're one who skips breakfast, no Bible, no lunch. You know, we need to be in the word of God every day. And right now in the American culture, in our country, we have an embarrassment of riches. We have the Bible in so many places and ways. You can even get it on your phone now. When I've been in college, certain college ministries, you know, and they're given the message, they, they tell the students, all right, everybody grab your phone and turn to this passage. There is no excuse whatsoever at all to, to not be in the Bible except that the devil doesn't want you in the word of God. The Bible gives us the encouragement. And in verses 5 through 7, we see Paul's prayer for the people. Let's read those. Let's read verses 5 through 6 right now. He says, may the God of endurance. Notice he says that. The God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another. In accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may with one voice, one voice, glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. May the God of endurance. Notice that. The God of endurance. And it's linked encouragement. Grant you to live. Notice he talks about harmony. 
You ever think about living in harmony with one another? And there's another word for harmony right there, kind of in accord, in accord with Christ Jesus, that together, together, you may with one voice glorify God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is powerful. This is powerful. Paul continues this, and he talks about harmony. Because what were they dealing with? In Romans 14, they're dealing with discord. They're dealing with disunity, right? The opposite of unity, they're dealing with disunity. Right now, our country, our culture has a bunch of disunity, right? We're not very united. And, and, and that's come into the churches, too. Even our churches are not very united. And Paul is encouraging them right now, be united, be united in Christ Jesus so that with one voice you glorify, with one voice you worship God. We're to live in harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. And what is the purpose? The purpose is that with one voice we glorify God the Father. He could have talked about any other purpose right here, but he didn't. He talked about worshiping God, glorifying God. It's interesting, he says, you glorify the God and Father. It's interesting, he says, God and Father. I like what one person shares about this. This expression emphasizes the deity of Christ. Jesus is not an adopted son of God. He's of the same essential being and nature as God. And this is such an important connection that it appears frequently in the New Testament. So with one voice, they glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And I find that powerful. Let me ask you, are we united in harmony? Are we, are, are we worshiping the Lord in harmony? In Revelation 7, 9 through 10, we see this heavenly vision. And, and, and as part of that heavenly vision, John sees many tribes and tongues and nationalities worshiping the Lord together. I was on a mission trip to a Navajo reservation. It was the summer of 2000. It was really neat. There's a worship service. And we saw people worshiping and praising God in the Navajo language and in the English language at the same time. With one voice coming together in harmony, worshiping the Lord. And I've seen that in Spanish, in the Dominican Republic, and, and, at, and at other times as well. We come together and we worship the Lord with one voice. You know, I love it when I can look out on the congregation and Steve and the worship team would say the same thing. And we see people worshiping the Lord together. You, I think I said this last week. You can almost stop the instruments for a second and, and the, the worship leaders can even quit singing and we hear the congregation all singing with one voice in harmony together worshiping the Lord. That's powerful. That's powerful. Look at verse 7. He says, Therefore welcome one another as Christ has welcomed you for the glory of God. Think about that. Welcome one another. And why do we welcome one another? Christ has welcomed you. And it says, for the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31. In 1 Corinthians chapters 8, 9, and 10, the Apostle Paul also deals with this dietary issues. And how, and how does he end that? He says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. So right here he's saying, welcome one another. Christ has welcomed you. Do you realize that? Christ has welcomed you. That's powerful. Amen? Christ has welcomed you. Christ has welcomed me. Many times we think of fairness with God, you know, especially when a trial or tribulation or hardship happens. And if, you're, if that's you, I would love to talk to you and help you explore, you know, how to move on after a trial or a tribulation or, 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 a, or a major hardship. But do we ever praise and worship God that the sun rose today? Do we ever praise and worship God and give thanks to God for all the bad things that don't happen? 
and for all the good things that do happen. I mean, God causes the sun to rise every day. He has the rain to come down. He causes all these great things, and he gives us salvation, and none of us deserve it. None of us deserve the salvation from God. I mean, if we want justice from God, we should all be eradicated the first time we sin, when you're like one month old. Although generally we'd say you're not really as accountable at that point, but that's another topic. But if we want justice from God, you know, God could eradicate, because sin is totally against God. But God in his grace and his mercy has welcomed us, has saved us, has declared us righteous, has adopted us, has regenerated us, has done so much more. And so what is Paul saying right here? And that was all, by the way, that was all the theology between Romans chapters 1 through 11. We're justified by faith. We're declared righteous by faith. You know, Christ has welcomed Jewish people and Gentile alike, all tribes and tongues and nationality. And so right here, he's closing up this section saying, welcome one another. Christ has welcomed you. And if Christ has welcomed you, we ought to welcome one another, right? So let me me ask you this right now. Who is the Holy Spirit working on you right now about welcoming? Are there certain people or people groups or, or that, that, that it's hard for you to welcome, that's hard for you to pray for, that's hard for you to love? And I think that the, the word of God right here is telling you welcome them. Welcome one another. Christ has welcomed you. Some translations say accept one another to the glory of God. The ESV Study Bible says such mutual acceptance will bring great glory to God. Mutual acceptance will bring great glory to God. Another way of saying this would be any friend of his is a friend of mine. Any friend of Jesus's is a friend of mine. Or in the wisdom of the Dukes of Hazard, a stranger is just a friend you've never met. Anyways, let's move on to some applications. We who are more mature in our understanding must bear with the failings of the weak. Maybe there's something that God has gotten you through. You're a little more mature. Well, bear with the failings of the weak. And by the way, remember, this is about conscience issues. This is not about specific things. The Bible is very clear. There are certain things where the Bible is extremely clear that it's sin and, it, and, and we have to make a stand. In matters of conscience, we must not flaunt our freedom. We must love and support one another. This is very clear. We have an obligation to bear the failings of the weak. We must all think of how to build up our neighbor. Are you thinking about that? Do we think about how to build somebody up each day? I kind of parked here a little bit last week, but let me just say it again. When we are extremely negative and critical and pessimistic, it can just bring down a room. And it doesn't build each other up. I've sat in many, 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 many church meetings and other meetings. And sometimes I can just know there's a cheerful person coming in and she can just light up. I'm thinking of she because sometimes it's a she. Many times maybe it has been. And they, and, and they can just change the whole demeanor. It's positive. It's optimistic. It's loving. It's joyful. It's exciting. But then also we know when somebody's negative, pessimistic, overly critical, it brings down the whole meeting. I think I'm going to say it every Sunday, Philippians 2.14. Do all things without grumbling and complaining. Let's think about how to be optimistic, positive, how to build one another up, how to encourage one another, how to encourage each other. 
from verse 2. Remember that our neighbor includes our enemy. From Luke 10, 29-37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. We must really think of how to build up our neighbor. Do we do this? Do we really think about how to build up others? Can, can we get up in the morning and think, I'm going to bless somebody today. I'm going to make their... And, and I'm not talking about giving them $100, maybe that too. But I'm just talking about just common, optimistic, uh, optimistic positive blessings, hellos and smiles and we'll pray for you and encouragement and I love you and things like that. We do not know what is going on in someone else's life. Russell Moore writes for Christianity Today now. He used to be with the Southern Baptist. He just left that position a few months ago. And he talked about when he became a pastor and he was about 20 years old and he told his dad that he was going to be a pastor and his dad said, well, I wish you wouldn't. But that's all he said about it. He never, he never brought him down. But why did his dad say he wished he wouldn't? Because his dad grew up a pastor's son. And his dad said, I don't want you to be hurt. And his dad saw many times where maybe his father wasn't hurt, but as the child of a pastor, he respected his dad and he saw bad things be said and things like that. And Russell Moore, at one point, his grandma would always take him to church. And at one time, he said to his grandma, he said, why do you make sure I come to church every Wednesday night? And his grandma said, because I want you to be a Christian. Then one, one time he said, but why do, you, why do you have me miss one Wednesday a month, which was the Wednesday of the business meetings? And she said, because I want you to be a Christian. <laughs> <laughs> and Russell Moore's dad died about a year ago, and he said he was always critical of his dad because he missed church and Sunday school Maybe a couple of Sundays a month. But then he realized why. It was because of all the hurt and suffering he faced as a child. With his dad serving as a pastor and the criticisms that came and things like that. And um, we have to be careful judging other people for the things that we don't know. That's what his message was about. And something Russell Moore wrote about just a few days ago. Because now as he's thought back, he's realized he was too critical of his father. At the same time, we do need the community, and I'm going to come back to that in just a minute. So in verse 3, we see that Christ did not please himself. And in verse 4 is a major, 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 major emphasis on the scriptures. And I want to read that again. He says, For whatever was written in former days was written for instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures we might have hope. And so let me ask you, are you in the encouragement from the scriptures? Are you spending time in the word of God every day? Are we meditating on the scriptures? Are we ruminating on the scriptures? Are we studying the scriptures? Are you in Sunday school? Are you in a small group? If not, why not? Every Christian here needs individual spiritual disciplines and corporate or community spiritual disciplines. For some, it may not be Sunday school, but you're in a small group. If you're in neither, I want to challenge you. You need one or both of those. You probably don't think you do. It's because the culture is drifting further and further away from God. Forty years ago, it would be unthinkable. In the 1980s, if they asked people, are you committed to the church? They would say, yeah, I, I'm there Sunday morning, Sunday school, and I'm, on, I'm there Sunday night, and I'm on Wednesday night. And now if you ask somebody, are you committed to the church? They're like, yeah, we're committed three Sundays a month. That's how the studies have shown. If you're not in a type of community, spiritual discipline, and an individual spiritual discipline, let me tell you and exhort you and encourage you and challenge you, you need that. Now, I know I just gave the example of Russell Moore's dad. I know there are some people that need to get help. They need to get counseling. They need to get help working on past pain and suffering. But many times our pride says, no, we're not going to talk to somebody. 
We don't need that. And let me tell you, if that's you, that is pride talking. That is not the Holy Spirit talking. That is the world talking. If, if past pain and suffering and trauma is keeping you from the community of believers, that is sin nature, sin problems, and the devil's work on you. We need Sunday school. We need small groups. We need Bible study. We need more than Sunday morning worship. And you need to be in the Word of God day in and day out. Someday it may be taken away. It is in many countries. This book is illegal in about a thousand countries across the world right now. People risk their lives to take the Bible to North Korea. People risk their lives to take the Bible to certain uh, Muslim extremist countries. They go through persecution. They go in through imprisonment. They go, uh, they go through death. And we don't care. You need to be in the Word of God. Now, now I know what oftentimes happens is you jump to legalism. So let me just call it out. Maybe, maybe none of you would say this. Maybe just the people at other churches. Pastors getting legalistic, talking about Sunday school and church and, 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 and Bible reading time and other things like that. Let me tell you, we always jump to that. We don't say that about sleep, eating. I mean, what if you're so busy today that you just tell your kids, we're too busy today, we're just going to skip dinner, kids. Well, don't let them tell that at school because they're a rescue right now. I mean, you can't send your kids to bed without supper anymore. Maybe when you were kids, but not anymore. But how many times do we say we're too busy? We're just not going to, I mean, I know sometimes we joke about all-nighters and not sleeping. But generally, we recognize we need at least a little bit of sleep. Well, just like you need sleep, you need time in devotions. You need time in the Bible. You need time in prayer. You need this. Okay? And, and I know that I speak to a congregation where many times, if you're really busy... Even tell your kids, your family, we're going to skip church this Sunday. We're just too busy. Just sleep in. we got to do work around the house. Well, next time, why don't you tell them we're going to skip lunch and dinner too? Why don't you tell them we're going to skip lunch and dinner for Wednesday too? We're just going to skip this stuff. You know, the Bible is sometimes described, even in the scriptures, Ezekiel has told this, and John has told this in Revelation, to eat this book. So in verse 4, here in Romans chapter 15, verse 4, he is told, he says, you know, we have the endurance and encouragement uh, through the scriptures. Through the scriptures. We need time in the word. And if you feel discouraged all the time... There could be many things, but one of them is you need time in prayer. You need time in the Word of God. You need time in Christian fellowship. You need time in community. And we make too many excuses. Just like I believe in marriage, we should never say the word divorce. That's the bad D word except when abuse and things like that is going on. In a family, we should never say the word skip church. And I really think never say the word skip Sunday school. Small groups, Bible study, things like that. Now, granted, I will admit, if you're If you're a caregiver, I know that some of you are watching online and you're a caregiver. There are certain reasons that you need to stay away. Some people are going through sickness or illness or sickness and illness in the family. I want to be understanding of that. But we need the community. And as I've said before, I strongly believe, apart from God's grace and God's intervention, however often you skip for trivial matters, your kids... Your grandkids will double that, triple that. Many times you just walk away from Christ. They have a hypocrite meter like we do not even understand. We must be in the word and in the word with the community.
Verse 4 says we must focus on persevering in the Christian life. We must focus on endurance. Are, are we living in such harmony with other Christians? Do we realize how much it glorifies God when we worship in unity? Does disunity bother you? If we see disunity in the church, it should bother us. It should grieve us. I believe it grieves the Holy Spirit of God when there's disunity in the church. And, and sometimes that's disunity because of actual sin. Sometimes it's disunity because of trivial matters. We must welcome others as Christ has welcomed us. And let me just say it again. Try, pray for help. Sometimes we are just naturally more negative people. And I wanna, we got to understand each other's personality. But try to be positive, to lighten the room. Dr. Witherington shares this true illustration. Philip Howley's Less Innocent Blood Be Shed recounts a story of the transforming, subversive power of shared living. What the author terms a kitchen struggle. Now, this is interesting. 1900 years after Paul wrote Romans, that'd be the 1940s. Andre Trachme was a Huguenot pastor in the village of Le Chambon in the Haute Loire region of France. I know those that know French, I just slaughtered that, okay? But he underscored the recognition of commonality. Refusing to ostracize the Jews of France despite their religious otherness, guess what? He affirmed, he said this, we do not know what a Jew is. We only know men. They're in occupied France. The Holocaust is going on. And he said, we do not know what a Jew is. We only know men. And this kitchen table struggle saved an estimated 5,000 Jewish lives. A community of around 3,000 people saved around 5,000 Jewish lives because they welcomed each other. Because they loved each other. Even though they're different, even though they're in a different religion, different culture, they welcomed each other. It is interesting, though, they're Huguenots. And some 300 years before that, there was a struggle of the Protestant Catholic faith. And there were certain tunnels and things that they had developed for hiding. And they were able to use those same tunnels and things like that hundreds of years later to save the Jewish people. That's powerful. And as Christians, we've got to be united and loving in that way. Let's pray. Dearly Father, I thank you so much for your word and for your instruction right here. Lord God, I pray that we do try to welcome each other, try to love one another. And Lord, I know disunity is natural. Welcome each other, welcoming each other and loving each other is not natural. We live in a fallen world where disunity is natural. But through the Holy Spirit inside us, we can welcome each other. Help us as a congregation to welcome each other. And Lord God, if there's anyone here who does not know you as Lord and Savior, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day for people to confess, maybe several here, maybe several watching online, to confess they're a sinner in need of a Savior, to believe in you as the one and only Savior, to trust in you and commit to you which means to firmly make the decision to be with you in order to become like you, to learn and do all that you say and arrange their affairs around you. Help us, Lord God, to make you Lord of our life. We're all in a journey, a spiritual journey. We have hurts, habits, and hang-ups. We have struggles. That's understandable. But help us to pursue you, to make a commitment to live life with you. You are the vine. We are the branches. Apart from you, we can do nothing. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.